3: Welcome in, podcast listeners. Hope you guys are having fantastic mornings. encourage you to go listen to the Colin Cowherd wins and losses podcast interview that I did with him. It's fantastic. Trust me, if you're listening to this, you will love that conversation we had. But lots to get to in today's show. Dan Wetzel swings by from Yahoo Sports. We talk with Chad Withrow. We talk with former Super Bowl winning head coach Brian Billick. But the news breaks an hour in Ezekiel Elliott signs a contract with the Dallas Cowboys. What does it mean? We unpack it and let you know. This is the Wednesday edition of Outkick the Coverage on Fox Sports Radio.
4: Outkick the Coverage with Clay Travis live every weekday morning from 6 to 9 a.m. Eastern, 3 to 6 a.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio. Find your local station for Outkick the Coverage at foxsportsradio.com. Or stream us live every morning on the iHeartRadio app by searching FSR. Now let's get this party started. You're listening to Fox Sports Radio.
3: Live from the Geico Outkick Studios, it's Wednesday. Hope you guys are having a fantastic start to your mornings. Appreciate all of you hanging out uh, with us. And the Ezekiel Elliott watch continues. It is now Wednesday. The NFL season kicks off tomorrow. And Ezekiel Elliott has traveled from Cabo back to Dallas. Now, there's a funny tweet that came out um, last night from Dirk Nowitzki saying, came home from China to all these cameras at the airport, I thought to myself, man, I still got it! Exclamation point. Turns out they were all there for Zeke. That is Dirk Nowitzki uh, as he returns from China saying the airport is full of media stalking Ezekiel Elliott. Now, a couple of things that are interesting here. I, it's amazing to me that Zeke was in Cabo for this long. And that while he was in Cabo, there wasn't like a daily Ezekiel Elliott social media media sighting. He really kind of stayed under the radar. Two, this might be the most ridiculous and public negotiation between a player and an owner that I have ever seen. Every day we get an update on exactly where this thing is trending. And now the question becomes, is Ezekiel Elliott going to be able to, assuming he signs today, let's assume that it happens today, maybe even this morning. And obviously we're going to keep you updated on this uh, as the story progresses on Fox Sports Radio. But is he able to come in and play on Sunday? When is the drop dead day in terms of his return and being able to be a part of the game plan and being able to play on Sunday? And then... The really wild thing here would be if, because he hasn't had, quote-unquote, football-shaped training, if he gets in the first game without a lot of preparation and somehow got injured. That would be an unbelievable storyline to basically be the culmination of this trajectory. Now, reports are that he is going to get six years, $90 million dollars. Now, that's an absurd contract, and we're talking about absurd contracts. Jared Goff may well have just gotten one, too. But let me go to the Ezekiel Elliott deal first. The key is how many years are the Cowboys actually committing themselves to? Because six years, $90 million is great. There's no way that Ezekiel Elliott serves out all six years for $90 million with the Dallas Cowboys. There are always outs in NFL contracts. So how many years are the Cowboys really committing to Ezekiel Elliott? My bet would be, if they're going to do a $90 million deal, that about half of it is actually on the hook. Uh, So my guess is that that would make Ezekiel Elliott the highest paid running back in the NFL, which I think is a wasted designation by Jerry Jones. I don't think any running back in the NFL is worth $15 million per year. But if you only have to commit to two or three years, Jerry Jones may well think, hey, at that point, we will have gotten everything there is to get out of Zeke. They'll be in the very best possible position uh, and uh, we'll be able to let him go. And so while the 90 million or whatever the dollar figure is will get a lot of attention, I'm sure the wrangling right now is over how much of that money essentially is guaranteed and how many years is it guaranteed over. So that's what you should, I believe, pay attention to there as the Ezekiel Elliott drama continues. The other big story is also contractual in nature. And there's been a lot of discussion about whether or not Sean McVay is really committed to Jared Goff. How much of Sean McVay's success is a function of him just being a great quarterback's coach And how much is a function of Jared Goff? There's been uncertainty about that for some time. I think we've debated it on here as well. Does Jared Goff and uh, does it really make sense for the Rams long term to commit to Jared Goff? How much of the relationship between Sean McVay and Jared Goff is more transactional in nature versus uh, a real endorsement of Sean McVay? Well, now we have the answer. Because the Rams are giving Jared Goff a four-year, $134 million extension that includes an NFL record, and I'm reading from Adam Schefter's tweet, $110 million guaranteed, and it commits Jared Goff to the LA Rams through the 2024 season. It's a four-year extension on top of the two years that he has remaining on his deal, Suggest also, if you're kind of reading the tea leaves and wondering why it would happen now, that in advance of the new collective bargaining agreement that the players and the owners are going to hammer out, that maybe some teams are starting to go ahead and commit substantial dollars to their quarterback because by 2024, the 30-some-odd million dollars a year that NFL quarterbacks are getting paid will actually look quaint and will look like a decent salary because the salary cap may well increase by such a magnitude that a lot more money is out there to be spent on players on all parts of the roster, but certainly on quarterbacks. And so that, I believe, is the, uh, is the bigger part of the story for why this extension would happen. Also, I think what you may also begin to see is a lot of teams take advantage of Of the fact that they get their rookie quarterbacks way under market and if you haven't paid attention to the larger uh, sort of economic rules of the NFL right now if you are fortunate enough to come into the league and draft a quarterback that really proves himself at a young age Dak Prescott is a great example Russell Wilson was a great example and doesn't cost you very much money then you could spend all that other money you would be spending on a quarterback elsewhere because even if you draft a quarterback in the first round and he turns out to be good, it still doesn't cost you very much money because the salaries are so far below market at the quarterback position in particular for NFL draft picks. For example, right now, let's say Kyler Murray turns out to be a stud. He's only going to make around $9 million a year for the next four years, $9 million and change. Well, if he's a stud he's probably worth $30 million. So what you're seeing here and what you'll see, I think, happen more so is every team with a first-round pick has an option for a fifth year where the salaries go up substantially but are still below market. I think what you will see is what's happening here with the Rams. While there's still a couple of years left potentially on the deal, you give them a lot of money, but you're able to amortize it over six years effectively – and you say, okay, well, it sounds like a lot of money to give Jared Goff. Let's say that he stays for all $134 million on that extension. Only 112 million or whatever it is is actually guaranteed. But if you divide that 134 million by the six years remaining on the deal or the five years remaining on the deal, it's way below market deal uh, that I think the Rams can be happy about because they've got a couple of years of Jared Goff below market still left on his rookie contract. So that is what is going on there. Those are the two biggest stories, I would say, in the world of the NFL on the eve of the NFL kicking off. Obviously, also a huge story out there. Uh, If you are a tennis fan, Roger Federer upset, very big upset uh, last night in the U.S. Open. And so Federer is uh, out of that tournament and much of the attention Will vanish uh, as a result. So I think there's an interesting question here, and I'm going to bring in the crew. Who do you, whose contract do you like better? Would you rather be the Rams committing the most guaranteed money of all time in NFL history to Jared Goff, who's a quarterback that, frankly, I think some Rams fans and certainly many NFL fans are not sold as being that good of a quarterback? I don't mean that he's a bad quarterback. I just mean not not necessarily like deserving of receiving more guaranteed money than anybody in NFL history. Or would you rather be the Cowboys signing Ezekiel Elliott to the dollar figure contract that they're signing, given the fact that they will be paying the most that's ever gone to a running back at a time when the running back position has never been of less value? Danny G, which contract would you rather be the GM or the owner of on the hook for?
5: Can I pass on both of
3: them? You, you can't. You have to choose <laughs> one it. if you don't like both, because I think uh, that's probably an answer that a lot of people have. Yeah,
5: man, it wasn't that long ago that under your friend Jeff Fisher, everybody was calling
3: Jared Goff a bust, and now he's going to make more guaranteed money than anybody in NFL history.
5: Yeah, Jared has had a preseason that Doug Gottlieb said was off the charts. I saw him on the herd, and as you know, Doug has been going to the Rams. And Chargers, and who else? One other team around California. Cowboys. Cowboys. Yeah, Cowboys. He goes to the camps. He says that for the past few years that he's been watching Jared Goff, Goff looked good in training camp, but he said the difference this year was Goff seemed to be the leader of the entire team. And had this swag about him that he just couldn't put into words. And he said it seemed like he was suddenly the Rams' Tom Brady, if that makes sense. Certainly
3: that's what Sean McVay wants to happen based on the amount of money they're guaranteeing to him.
5: Now, if what Gottlieb was reporting on the herd is true, then maybe that contract won't be horrible in five years from now.
3: Well, I think that what a lot of people are going to miss is the way that they are pairing it with an unbelievably undervalued contract. And that is that is something that I think the average NFL fan is not thinking about very much in terms of the draft. Right now, teams are incentivized to draft quarterbacks in the first round, even if you have a decent quarterback, because the cost for a quarterback in the current CBA is so far below what they are on market value that you get an unbelievable steal if the quarterback ends up panning out as a potential starter. Um, and, uh, and so it used to be that, for instance, go back in time, if you drafted, let's say, Sam Bradford or Vince Young or uh, Jamarcus Russell, somebody at the very top of the draft, you had to pay them so much guaranteed money that if they busted, it really impacted your franchise going forward. And I'll give you an example. Vince Young made over $50 million from the Tennessee Titans. A couple of years later, when Vince Young wasn't going to pan out, in a new CBA, the Titans drafted Jake Locker, and Jake Locker didn't pan out, and he cost the Titans $12 million. So the difference in and, – and I think Locker was the number eight or some such overall pick, and, and Vince Young was a number three overall pick – So it's not as if there was some huge difference in terms of draft stock there. What changed was the CBA. And I think Sam Bradford was the number one overall pick in the final year of the old CBA. And the drop-off in guaranteed compensation was so massive. So what the Rams are doing here is as part of this extension that runs all the way to through the 2024 season. So you're talking about 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24 season, six years. If they were to pay him out on all six years, they're looking at it as a six-year investment that costs them an average of $22.5 million, which is going to look wildly underneath, probably, the salary cap as they end up on the tail end of that deal. And the reason why they can get some value there and even still have the most guaranteed money of all time is because the final uh, year and change, final couple years of this deal are still under the old contract, which helps them to keep the numbers down. Does that all that all that make sense?
5: Yeah, because if you think back to when Derek Carr got paid, everybody was like, oh, my God, how can he be the highest paid quarterback? How long did that last now? He's way down the list.
3: Right, it's constantly cycling up, but the uh, but the way that the way to think about this is teams have to take advantage of these rookie contracts, and I think that's honestly why the Houston Texans made all the moves that they did. And some people are like, "Man, I don't know about the on Clowney, and then giving up the picks to go get uh, Laramie Tunsil and everything else associated with that they did with the 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 Dolphins. The Texans are afraid that their window with Deshaun Watson is going to close rapidly where they get him at substantially below market rate and as a result this is their this is their swing for the fences to see whether or not they can uh, they can make a financial play that makes a lot of sense. So did you pass on the choice between Zeke or, or Goff?
5: I guess I would just go Goff because he's a quarterback.
3: Yeah. I think that's the right answer. What about you, Dub?
6: Yeah, I think it has to be Goff. I mean because by the time there's 2 years left on this deal, like you said the cycle of paying quarterbacks goes so rapidly. He'll probably be the 6th to 10th highest paid quarterback, which is probably, you know, where his range should be. So to me, yeah. It's Jared Goff because if you think of the difference between let's just say Tony Pollard since he's Zeke's current backup, between him and Zeke, you know, it's probably a few hundred yards rushing and receiving and, you know, maybe five or six touchdowns, but you're paying Zeke just astronomically more money astronomically more money than, than Pollard. So, to me, it's got to be Jared Goff.
3: Yeah, I mean, look, the easy example is uh, J- J- last year James Conner made 500000 ish to play running back for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Le'Veon Bell turned down $14 million to, pay run- to play running back for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Now, we don't know exactly what Le'Veon Bell's numbers would have been. James Conner's actually ended up being better than Le'Veon's were the year before. But even if you assume that Le'Veon Bell is better than James Conner and would have produced a better season in terms of total yardage, in order for it to be justified from an economic perspective, there's there's almost no way for it to be because uh, James Conner made 128th of the salary of Le'Veon Bell. So in some ways, Le'Veon Bell would need to be 28 times the running back that James Connor is in terms of his impact on wins and losses to justify his $14 million a year salary compared to a guy they replaced him with for 500000 And for people out there who say, why does it matter? Well, in a salary cap error, the money you spend on one player is something that you can't spend on another player or another position. Eddie Garcia, which one would you rather have uh, your name affixed to if you're the owner? The the new contract for Jared Goff or the new contract for Ezekiel Elliott?
1: Well, I'll I'll stay with the the group and I will say Jared Goff as well. And as long as he is uh, you know teamed up with Sean McVay, who's signed through twenty twenty three, I I think that that's a combination that you could win with. And uh, you know McVay has resurrected Goff, or at least uh, been you know it seems to be the person who has been behind his uh, his ascension. Uh, And again, I'll go with the quarterback.
3: So I think the other question is, and this is the answer, I mean, we and I started off talking about this, we now know that Sean McVay believes that Jared Goff is a guy that he can win a Super Bowl with and potentially multiple Super Bowls with because you know that the person who was driving the decision to get this contract done had to be Sean McVay. And if he's committed, it's not like it's college football where a coach can leave any year that he wants to. Sean McVay is committed long-term to Jared Goff and Jared Goff's committed long-term to Sean McVay. They got a sports marriage. Uh, what about you, Roberto? Which would you rather have?
5: Uh, uh, I'll go with Zeke because uh, the Cowboys are a run first offense. I don't think the Cowboys will be – Dak will be as effective or good if Zeke's not back there running the ball. And, and Zeke has been a, a beast since he's, since he's uh, been in the NFL. He's led the league
6: in rushing the first three seasons. Yeah, First time to do that since Earl Campbell and uh, Jim Brown. So I'll go with Zeke.
3: Here, by the way, is one thing to think about that kind of marries these two topics. Dak Prescott is looking at the Jared Goff contract and saying, okay, there's his value. What the Cowboys don't have, which the uh, which the Rams do, is that rookie contract to rely upon where they're getting a steal. Now, the Cowboys have for the last four years – Uh, But there is no fifth-year option in Dak Prescott's contract because he wasn't a first-round pick. So he is an unrestricted free agent if the Cowboys were not to franchise tag him at the end of this year. And so whatever the Cowboys give to Dak Prescott is not going to be able to offset against multiple years left on his rookie contract that may not cost as much money, which makes you wonder on some level, why the Cowboys didn't tear up Dak Prescott's contract after, like, two years and sign him to a four- or five-year extension where the first two years of that extension uh, was Dak Prescott was insanely under market value. You would think that the Cowboys could have made a move that would have given a lot more money to Dak Prescott guaranteed in the final two years of his rookie deal. Maybe Dak Prescott and his agent turned that down And said, no, we want to get to the end of this fourth year where we can make up all the money that we didn't make under our rookie contract. But that's a story that I would be uh, interested in exploring why exactly the Cowboys have not gotten a deal done with Dak Prescott and to a lesser extent with Amari Cooper while they still have years left under their uh, rookie contracts. All right, when we come back, we'll continue to unpack these stories, get you ready for the NFL uh, Week uh, 1, which is officially going to start tomorrow, and college football Week 2. Week Two, uh, Giving you a roadmap of where we're headed today. Brian Billick is going to join us in Hour 2 of the show, former Baltimore Ravens head coach. We'll ask him about uh, a large number of the major stories out there uh, in the NFL. And then in Hour 3, we'll be joined by my guy Chad Withrow. Uh, at Withrow Zone, a longtime friend of mine who comes on with us now in uh, on Wednesdays in hour three. All that's still to come. Obviously, we'll be tracking the Ezekiel Elliott news to see if anything official this breaks this morning on the eve of the start of the NFL season. Thanks for hanging out with us. This is Outkick on Fox Sports Radio.
4: Be sure to catch live editions of Outkick the coverage with Clay Travis weekdays at 6 a.m. Eastern, 3 a.m. Pacific.
3: the NFL sells hope better than anywhere in all of pro sports. And one of the things that's cool about the NFL is almost every year, a team goes from last place in its division, one of the eight divisions in the AFC or the NFC, to first place. And here are your nominees right now. I'm going to run through the nominees, get an update from Eddie Garcia, come back and tell you who I think's likely to do it. Last place in the AFC North last year, Cincinnati Bengals. Last place in the AFC West last year, Oakland Raiders. Last place in the AFC East last year, the New York Jets. Last place in the AFC South, the Jacksonville Jaguars. All right, Those are your four nominees to go worst to first in the AFC. In the NFC, NFC North, been there a lot, unfortunately. The Detroit Lions in last place. NFC East, the Giants. NFC West, the Cardinals. NFC South, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Those are your eight nominees. Who is most likely to make the move to first place? Happens almost every year in the NFL. It's why hope and fun and excitement. The NFL, if your team stinks, can go from being awful to pretty good in a heartbeat. Look at the Cleveland Browns, the expectations for the Browns versus the two years prior to 2018. Now they legitimately are being considered a Super Bowl contender. And two years ago, they were 1-31, in and 16 on the year, 1-15 in on the year with Hugh Jackson. All right, so NFC North, sorry, Lions. Uh, I know you're in sec- year two of Matt Patricia, made a lot of moves. I don't buy into the fact that you're going to go from worst to first in the NFC North. Uh, in the NFC East, Giants are a little bit intriguing to me. Because they've got a two-time Super Bowl winning quarterback. They may well have the best running back in the NFL. They've got a remade defense and they've got a wide receiving core that's not healthy. So I'm going to eliminate them. But I do think the NFC East is worth paying attention to because we haven't, I believe this is true, we haven't seen a repeat team uh, win the division in the NFC East since I believe it's 2003 and 2004 which is the longest stretch of any division in the NFL to not have a back-to-back winner? So there tends to be a lot of fluctuation there, and uh, I think it's possible that a nine and seven type record gets you in, but I don't think the Giants do it. Uh, I do think there's value on them at fourteen to one though. NFC West, no chance for the Cardinals, zero. Uh, NFC South, no chance for the Bucks. I would put it at zero uh, their chances of winning that division. All right, so I'm not taking anybody in the NFC, but if I had to pick one of these teams, I actually would probably take the Giants as the team that has the best chance to go worst to first. What about in the AFC? Bengals, they're out. They're done. Not going to happen. Sorry, 0% chance. Uh, AFC West Raiders, 0% chance. Sorry, it's not happening. Remember, in order to go worst to first, you don't just have to consider the team that's going from worst. You have to consider who's falling out of first. And the AFC West is just too strong at the top with the Chiefs and the Chargers for the Raiders to go worst to first there. Uh, AFC East, I think there's some possibility that the Jets are the most improved team in the NFL this year. They were 4-12 and last year. I could see them making the switch going 9-7-ish. and uh, The problem is I don't see the Patriots falling down that far They've won this division too many years in a row for me to believe that the Jets are going to go worst to first, so I don't think that's going to happen. The team that I think is actually most likely to do it in all of the NFL is in the AFC South, and it's the Jacksonville Jaguars. The Jaguars two years ago were playing in the fourth quarter for a trip to the Super Bowl, and then they fell apart, and last year they went 5-11. and 11. They got rid of Blake Bortles, they brought in Nick Foles, I think this is a no-brainer. The Jags, by far, are the most likely team in the entire NFL to go worst to first. All right, I want to get the crew's opinion here. Anybody disagree with me? Danny G, who would you take as the team most likely to go worst to first in the NFL this year?
5: I think the Giants are interesting, but their offensive line is still not where it needs to be. Saquon can't do it all by himself. So I'm not with you on the Giants. In You know... I'm looking at Tampa Bay because they made a lot of moves with their defense that I like, like linebacker Devin White out of LSU. He could be an instant star. And then they fixed their defensive backfield with Bruce Arians running the show now. Hopefully he could get Jameis on the right track. So I think the Buccaneers can improve a lot. Now, can they go to first? I don't know. But I like what they're doing. I think you're right about Jacksonville. Out of all the teams you listed, it seems like with Nick Foles, they have the best chance to completely turn the ship around.
3: Anybody, Dub, that you would take over Jacksonville as the most likely team to go worst to first in the NFL?
6: Yeah, Jacksonville kind of seems like the most obvious choice to me, but I kind of agree with Danny G with the Buccaneers. I don't think they're actually going to do it, but I could see that division, you know, all four teams being – you know, between eight and eight and ten and six, if the uh, Bucks improve a lot under Bruce Arians and Jameis Winston on his last year of his deal, but in terms of actually being able to do it in the situation that they're in, I think the Jags and the AFC South has got to be the the prediction going into the season.
3: See, I don't buy the Bucks, not because I don't believe they can be improved. I certainly do uh, think that they can be much improved with the new coaching staff and the moves they've made. I think it's about who's at the ceiling of their division. It wouldn't stun me at all. The reason why I like Jacksonville is it wouldn't stun me at all if the Houston Texans kind of slip back into the middle tier of the AFC South, right? Uh, I mean, it wouldn't be a surprise if even for Texans fans, I think, who are listening to us right now, if with Javion Clowney gone, let's say you have an injury. uh, Certainly Deshaun Watson has not been healthy. That's the knock on him in general. He's torn the ACL. In one leg in college and he's already torn the ACL in the other leg in the NFL they didn't protect him very well I know they've remade that offensive line in some ways uh, but you could see something happening to let's say DeAndre Hopkins who is their total difference maker at uh, wide receiver what would Deshaun Watson look like in that offense without let's say Deshaun Watson for four or five games so I think it's easy to see how the AFC South could be a mess in terms of there being a lot of teams that are eight and eight, nine and seven, I don't see that in the NFC South because I just don't think that you might have the Saints, for instance, come back down to earth. You might have uh, the, uh, the 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 Falcons maybe just kind of stay mediocre, and also the, uh, the the Panthers, but I don't think you would have all three of those teams simultaneously also fail, which is why I couldn't pick uh, the the Bucks to get it done. Uh, what about you? Eddie Garcia, who would you pick as the most likely team to go from worst to first? I
1: honestly think the only answer is Jacksonville. You've got a team that did it recently – uh, you've got a new quarterback who had won the Super Bowl recently, and you've got the division that is not that does not feature a New England or a Kansas City or somebody like that. So I, I think it's it's the obvious answer. It's the Jaguars.
3: Roberto, you sticking with the Jags?
6: <laughs> yeah, yeah.
3: Even I've... the Raider fans. i got to give you and Danny G some credit. Even the delusional Raider fans. And by the way, what do you guys think of how hard Knox finished last night?
5: Uh, John Gruden turned out to be the star of the show. I liked the last episode. Unfortunately, the Chiefs are in yeah, the AFC West. If the Chiefs weren't in the AFC West, I could see John Gruden turning things around. Even
3: if the Chiefs weren't there, uh, I still think the Chargers would be uh, a pretty substantial favorite in that division. I
5: think the Raiders can give the Chargers a run for their money right now.
3: By the way, we've talked a lot about Ezekiel Elliott. The Melvin Gordon dilemma that's going on right now in L.A. with the Chargers Where they basically have said, "Hey, we've stopped all negotiation," and they even put the onus on him by leaking, "Hey, we stopped all negotiation," and we told him, "Go find a trade partner, find somebody who's willing to give up substantial assets for you, and we'll enter into negotiations with them." But that's like that's like sending your kid to bed and having him come up with an explanation of why his behavior was so bad. It's like you're not even you're, you're just refusing to engage completely. So uh, that is an intriguing in and of itself, and if you look at how much attention Zeke has gotten compared to Melvin Gordon, it's off the charts, but it appears that Gordon is the one who's uh, unlikely to actually play for his team anymore based on the holdout, and that would be uh, that's pretty intriguing because that would be back-to-back years that at the running back position, we have two different guys, now Le'Veon Bell and maybe Melvin Gordon who are willing to potentially sit out the whole season. I don't know. We'll see exactly what happens. This is OutKick, the coverage with Clay Travis. We haven't talked about this this week, but I, I kind of uh, highlighted it because I thought it was such a ridiculous story and because we have talked about it a little bit uh, on this show. LeBron well, James obsessed with Taco Tuesday. Did you guys see over the weekend that he has attempted to trademark Taco Tuesday? Smart. No, this is uh, another (laughs) example of LeBron James being so dumb, it makes my head hurt. Um, Taco Tuesday has actually been trademarked for almost 30 years since 1989, when whoever had the first idea to do a promotion predicated whatever Mexican restaurant I think it was, I think it was Taco John's. Uh, which is uh, which is in many different markets people are listening to us right now but they had the idea whoever did the marketing genius hey let's do a taco Tuesday and uh, I I legitimately wonder at this point because remember LeBron James also tried to uh, to trademark talking about sports in a barbershop which was <laughs> I mean I mean so dumb and look there are other people who've done dumb things uh, I think a lot of times You try to trademark something just to get the attention of the trademark. So, for instance, Ohio State recently tried to trademark the, uh, the, as in the Ohio State University, and they got ridiculed for that.
5: How did they spell it with two e's?
3: Uh, no, just the normal (laughs) V. Yeah, they tried to capital. They tried to trademark the most common word in the English language, uh, which is a uh, which is a big swing and a miss. But if they only
5: use one e, how do they know people will even say it the right way?
3: The Ohio State University. Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, you might have, you're interesting. Like, they, 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 the point is interesting. If you had an extra E, there would be a much better chance of getting a trademark because it's not used in traditional, you know, commerce and usage. But LeBron got shot down on the stupid idea of trying to uh, argue. I guess he threatened to sue Alabama, was the story, because Alabama did a show where they sat in a barbershop and talked about sports. And LeBron was like, whoa, wait, wait. I'm the guy who gets to have the show where people sit in a barbershop and talk about sports. And everyone in America was like, wait a minute. We talk about sports everywhere, including barbershops, LeBron. You're an idiot. And now I I, I tweeted, I was like, is LeBron this dumb or his lawyers this dumb? I think the answer is clearly that LeBron is willing to pay his lawyers. Lawyers do anything if you pay them $1,200 an hour. Within the bounds of being a legal – I'm a lawyer, right? If you're willing to pay me $1,200 an hour to do something, as long as it's within the the bounds of legal ethics – There's almost every lawyer in the world would jump at that opportunity. So even if your client is dumb, you'll do what the client asks if he's paying you $1,200 an hour. And there's a funny line that lawyers have, the practice of law would be great except for the client. So a lot of times you can tell your client, hey, you have a 0% chance of actually being able to win here. We think this is a bad idea. And the client will say, I don't care. You know, I want to do it anyway. And honestly, the richer the client is, the more likely that's to be the client's response because he's not looking at the the, the nickels and dimes and, 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 and all the money that's coming out based on his decision. But this is just, I mean, the height of stupidity. Does anybody want to try to defend LeBron James on trying to trademark uh, Taco Tuesday? When Did everyone roll their eyes when they saw this story?
5: I rolled my eyes yeah. because I knew you would talk about it. Look, I love you, LeBron, but... Taco Tuesday belongs to Southern California. I think we all know this.
3: It also comes back again to LeBron doing the Mexican accent. Like, remember we talked about this? Imagine if, like, I think it's always interesting because, first of all, I don't buy into this, right? There is a group of people out there that believes that you can take something that belongs to one group and steal it from them, right? Like, there's a group obsessed with cultural appropriation out there. And if you're not familiar with the concept of cultural appropriation, it would be like, my culture made this, therefore you aren't allowed to use it and appropriate it as your own. And to me, that is just like the exact opposite of everything that America stands for. Because the entire purpose of global civilization, certainly Western civilization, is to take what is successful and spread it to more places. For instance, democracy was created by old white guys in Greece and Rome. And then in America, we took the lessons that Greece and Rome had created around democracies and forming republics, and we put it to work here. Capitalism, the internet, coffee, things that are popular regardless of where they are created eventually spread everywhere because they are assimilated as good things for our culture. Coffee started in Ethiopia. It's crazy that you would be like, oh, we created coffee, therefore you can't use it. The entire purpose of creating something is for everybody to use it. But it's interesting to me that LeBron James can try to take something that is connected with Hispanic people, White Taco Tuesday. Imagine if, and and Jason Whitlock tweeted this out, imagine if a white guy, a white athlete, tried to trademark Soul Food Saturday. Like, people would lose their minds if a white guy decided, you know what, I'm going to file a trademark for Soul Food Saturdays. I'm going to make Soul Food a thing. People would be like, what are you – like, this food's kind of existed for a long time, and this white dude's going to parachute in and try to make Soul Food Saturday his own? It's interesting to me how the rules don't apply evenly across the board. And by the way, you know who did a good job of explaining all this? Dave Chappelle in his special. Has everybody watched the Dave Chappelle Netflix special now?
5: Yeah, that was an A+.
3: Did you see the critics hate it?
5: I saw you tweet that out. Doesn't surprise me.
3: Yeah. Uh, has there, are you and I the only two who've watched it? Dub, have you watched it yet?
6: I have watched it, and it is absolutely phenomenal.
3: Uh, Eddie Garcia, have you watched it? I
6: have not, but plan to soon.
3: What about you, Roberto? No, I haven't watched it yet. All right, so three of us have, and, and the three of us that have watched it think it's really funny. And the, the goal basically – to me, if you want to really kind of sum it up with what Chappelle uh, is attempting to do, is kind of take back comedy from the perpetually offended. I like it already. Yeah, right. You're going to like it, Eddie. I'm offended. But so much (laughs) of the first 15 or 20 minutes is built around that thesis of what's the most ridiculous joke that I can begin with and that I can tell that almost no one else will go and embrace, and it involves—well, embrace is probably the wrong word. It involves Michael Jackson, and it is—it uh, is so well done. Uh, he gets into the j- j- Jussie Smollett. Nice. Uh, uh, you mean
5: Juicy Sommelier? Yeah,
3: ju- Juicy Sommelier. But <laughs> That's what he calls him. It them. is. There is a. There is a large discussion about how these rules of the perpetually offended don't apply evenly and how it doesn't really make sense in our culture today. It's a fantastic watch. Uh, If you like this show in any way, you probably would like that as well.
4: Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com. And within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live.
2: Hey, it's Jonas Knox. You've put it off long enough. It's time to replace your tires. Tire Rack has tires that will elevate your drive. Touring tires for commuter comfort. Performance tires for sporty handling. All-terrain tires for on- and off-road adventure. Go to TireRack.com to get started. Not sure where to begin? Use the Tire Decision Guide to get a personalized tire recommendation. The right tires for how, what, and where you drive. Choose from the full line of Michelin Tires. Shipped fast and free to a recommended install
3: Live from the Geico Outkick Studios. I hinted at it at the start of hour one. We got the breaking news sounder, boys. Let's hear it.
4: Breaking news from Fox Sports.
3: All right, this is from Ian Rappaport. Yes, it's actually Ian Rappaport's actual Twitter account. The Cowboys and running back Ezekiel Elliott agreed on a six year, $90 million extension. That makes him the highest paid running back in the NFL. So I'm reading directly from his Twitter. Sources tell me and Slater NFL. Roughly half guaranteed. In all, it's $103 million over eight years. Zeke becomes the first Cowboy to eclipse $100 million in total value. The richest running back contract ever. I don't like it. Let's go ahead and put me down. As a skeptic, of course, the question is how much of this money is guaranteed because that will be the dollar figure that really matters here because so much of this contract will all the attention uh, will be going towards how much money is there, and most people will look at the glittering kind of $103 million deal there. But this eight years. It's an eight-year running back deal how many years of those of the of this dollar figure are actually guaranteed i would bet there's not much more than about 45 million dollars guaranteed here which means the remaining 58 million dollars on this contract uh is is what is at play and what matters in a big way but again breaking news uh for me and Rappaport just 5 minutes ago he tweeted out that cowboys and Ezekiel Elliott have agreed to an extension Now that puts Dak Prescott and Amari Cooper on the clock officially if they weren't already. And also, next question will be, will Ezekiel Elliott show up at the Cowboys facility today, sign his contract, and the idea be that he's a full go for week one of the season? Presuming, again, it's early Wednesday morning. It is right now in uh, Dallas just after 6 a.m., Probably a sign that they worked through the night, I would imagine, to get this deal hammered out. If it's breaking at 6 a.m. in Dallas, uh, 7 a.m. on the East Coast, and obviously 4 a.m. on the West Coast, if they hammered this thing out through the night, I would think that Ezekiel Elliott, the goal would probably be to have him show up at the Dallas Cowboy training facility today. So uh, that is the news. That is out there. Major breaking news, Ezekiel Elliott, this story officially being wrapped up, has signed a uh, or has agreed to a a six-year, $90 million extension that makes him the highest-paid running back in the NFL. Uh, All right, we're going to call Dan Wetzel and talk with him about this Yahoo Sports national column, this big breaking news story. We'll have Dan on to get his take. My early read, again, when you really break this down is, how much is guaranteed? Because uh, that really goes to how you can assess the value of this contract. And the second part of it is I don't think any running back in the NFL today, no matter how good, and Ezekiel Elliott's very good, is worth $15 million a year. I think you look at Todd Gurley. Guy gets injured, gets $14 million, They go out and they re- hire C.J. Anderson off the street, and he outperformed him in the playoffs. Uh, you look at what happened with James Conner. Le'Veon Bell sits out, James Conner comes in for $500,000 and outplays Le'Veon Bell, I think that Ezekiel Elliott, as good as he's been for the first three years, not worth $15 million a year here. And, damn, we don't know the guaranteed money or anything else here, but has there been a lot of interest at Yahoo? has? The, we've talked a lot about the drama of Ezekiel Elliott's contract situation because he's a big name. It's the Dallas Cowboys. Is this a story that you followed very closely, or have you just kind of been like, it's going to get worked out, I'm not that interested in it?
7: No, it's been big. And people are into it. First of all, very little happened this um, this training camp. There wasn't a lot of drama.
8: Yeah, um, right. So,
7: kind of was the story. So, yeah, everyone's into it. And then you just have the, you know, look, the, the six year 90, the, the agent, usually in these stories, the agent floats out the number to a reporter. And the agent wants the biggest possible number um put out there because it makes them look good. Right. So so that other people go, Oh wow, you know, so and so got him six years ninety. We'll see. I mean that he very well could get ninety, but the the, the you know, the uh stipulations on that could be like if you rush for twenty five hundred yards, <laughs> if you're, you know, your third straight Super Bowl MVP, you get another hundred grand. You know, you don't know what it is. So we'll see what the guarantee is. But I think the other part of it is just how a guy with two years left on a deal, uh, I mean, it's presuming this is favorable, just played the Cowboys. And, and I mean, this is a, a total victory for Ezekiel Elliott. He gets more money right away, and he skipped the training camp, which nobody wants to do. Uh, yeah. I mean, he, he he wins. I mean, how did he? Lose? How could he? He had he had at least two years on that deal because they still got to franchise him after that, uh, unless these numbers are way lower than ninety, and they're going to be lower. Uh, I, you know, Zeke Elliott just just took the Cowboys to, to the cleaners on this.
3: Well, the reports are that, uh, that according to Rappaport, that roughly half of the hundred and three million dollars is guaranteed. So what does roughly half mean and what does guaranteed mean? It's the NFL. So you can immediately right. – so a lot of people are going to run with the, oh, my man got a $100 million story, which is what you said the agents want, right? The agents want that headline of, oh, my God, this contract is unbelievable. And a lot of times that stuff is backloaded. So an eight-year contract for a running back is insane, right? I mean, for any any NFL player, an eight-year contract would be Is it, is be it eight or six? Eight? I think Fix it said, it yeah, I, let, me, let me look again. Again, this news is just breaking. Uh, Six-year extension, but it's oh $103 million over eight years. So he still had two years left on his contract. So the Cowboys are giving him, you know, he's staying under his contract for the next uh-huh. two years, and then they're adding six more years to the back end of it. So my bet would be, and again, that this is without having seen the dollar figure, um, that he was, I think he was on track to make like seven million a year or something like that in uh, in compensation for the Cowboys. Now maybe nine million next year. My bet is they it was just gave – three this year. Yeah, okay. Three
7: point nine this year, so it was a low number. We'll see if they gave him. But a signing partly, bonus
3: yeah, yeah, but partly that's because of the way that they attribute the signing bonus. Like he was set to make, I think it was twenty five million dollars over the first five years of his contract, and by the last year of his deal, he was making like nine million because they could take the option. Right but my bet is that they're going to give him like you know a 25 million dollar uh, salary in year 3 like year 3 and 4 will be really big dollar numbers and then those are the, i think this is a 4 year deal basically like he'll serve out the two years remaining on his contract and he'll get two more years and he gets the guaranteed money and probably a lump sum up front uh, of a signing bonus that will be defrayed over the next four years. He'll never see the back half of this $50 million. But I agree with you. I think the precedent that Jerry Jones is setting here is not necessarily a good one. And I think other NFL owners would have to look around at this and say, wait a minute, what's going on? I think definitely Melvin Gordon is looking at this and saying, wait, why were the Cowboys willing to play ball with Jerry Jerry Jones, with Ezekiel Elliott? And the Chargers have basically told me, hey, uh, we're not doing anything for the rest of the year. Good luck.
7: Yeah. Yeah. No. It's, so that does change And Again, we got to see the whole thing. The News broke three minutes ago. Yeah. Um, but when you got a guy with two years left and you make some kind of deal, it's, it's, you know, he certainly could have pushed the envelope on him because, uh, Elliot had a long time to wait and obviously you saw on Bell set out a year and it worked out for him, but that was a little different, you know, different contractually and all of that. Um, so, but I, I I get it from Ezekiel Elliott's point is that he's going to try to get as much money right now because he lead he, two of his three years he led the league in in rushing attempts and the other one he led the most per game. He was just suspended for six games, so he didn't have the total number. But they absolutely workhorse him, and it's it, you just only have so many so many miles on the tire, especially I as mean, a he's a big bruising guy, but he takes hits so. If you're a running back, you got to try to get everything you can now. You can't sit there and go, "Well, I hope I make it 12 years in the league, 14 years in the league." You know, you can be worn out by 28. Um, he entered the league at 21, so uh, you know, I you know, I still I still look at it as I get his point on trying to do this. Um, I'm, you know, and the, for the Cowboys not to make him sit one week, I kind of thought this would happen. And and like I remember writing a column at the beginning, like people were all flipped out that he's sitting in Cabo. And I'm like, why, would you, why wouldn't you sit in Cabo? Like, why report to a training camp when you might be able to work a deal and you can always report later? The Cowboys aren't going to, like, suspend you or fine you. And it's not like Ezekiel is out of shape. I mean, these camps now are kind of a waste of time. It's not like the old days. Um, so I, I, I take this as a, as a win for Ezekiel Elliott. And I'm not really sure unless we see these contract terms what the point was for Dallas other than they got pushed around a little
3: bit. Yeah, look, I think that we talked about this on Lock It In, and Cousin Sal on the show with me made a good point. He's like, look, Jerry Jones is 76, 77 years old. I think he sees this as I don't have a ton of years left to win another Super Bowl, and that is kind of his focus in life at this point is return to kind of the glory of the early 90s and get that validation of winning a Super Bowl and if he thinks that Dak is his modern-day Troy Aikman and if he thinks that uh, that Zeke is his modern-day Emmitt Smith and if he thinks that uh, Amari Cooper is his modern-day Michael Irvin and obviously he's got uh, another ride with uh, Jason Witten who is, uh, you know, a, a fading superstar there but certainly a first ballot Hall of Famer uh, in the jo- – and, in, 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 you know, he's kind of the Jay Novacek role for those of people who remember the early 90s Cowboys. Jerry's trying to reclaim the past and he's trying to go get a Super Bowl – and if he has to wildly overpay to do it, the question is going to be, man, is this a risk that the Cowboys took that was a smart strategic risk? Because, look, how often have you seen guys hold out, and when they come back, if they immediately get back in the shuffle, they get hurt, right? I mean, they're, it, it, it is a cliche, but I believe it's true. There's a difference between being in shape and being in football shape, and maybe Zeke's going to come out and be perfectly fine, but imagine if he showed up in, in week one and tore his ACL well, then the Cowboys have given Ezekiel Elliott $15 million for this year. He probably won't come back healthy 100% next year, and they're out $30 million, and that's money that they can't spend on anybody else. So I think this is a big risk for the Cowboys. I don't think there's any running back in the NFL that's worth $15 million a year. Uh, I think negotiating with a guy with two years left on his contract is a mess. I do think, Dan, I'm curious what you think about this. This is something they're going to have to look at uh, in the CBA because they tried to address the fact that draft picks were making way too much money when they came into the league, and I think they may have gone too far in that direction because now if you're, for instance, a running back, you most guys don't, don't even get to their second contract if you're a highly drafted running back because if you're Ezekiel Elliott, you get five years guaranteed. you know The team has the option to pick up the fifth year on you. By the time you get to contract two, you're on the backside of your career because by the age of 30, every running back's done in the NFL. So I don't blame Ezekiel Elliott for trying to get as much as he can, but I think the structure of his contract is the big problem here.
7: Yeah, the CBA is terrible for running backs. There's, there's just no question for that about that. And and so you know you hear, do you do you set a different contractual deal with with a position? Like then no, there there aren't gonna be any running backs. They're all gonna be like. Sl- slot receivers, <laughs> you know, like, Phil yeah. Belichick will just go into the season with no, I've never drafted a running back. I draft a player, right? To Define running back. So I don't know how they do this, but I do, I, there's gotta be something a little more fair for, for guys who, because Elliot is good enough to force this issue, but even a little bit less good, you can't. And, and you get, you get churned up and these guys get beaten down and, There's good, I mean, there's plenty of of data that I agree with you. Is any guy worth $15 million on the running back position? Now, he does carry the ball a lot. He is reliable. He does, in partnership with, he makes Prescott a lot better because of what he can do. Um, You know, so maybe, maybe he's worth it, maybe not. I agree with you also that Jerry Jones just wants to win the Super Bowl. And I think, you know, he made, uh, Emmett Smith sit out uh, when Emmett uh, after a couple Super Bowls Emmett Smith wanted the big deal to be paid more than Thurman Thomas back in whatever year that was in the mid nineties, and he made him sit out a couple weeks until they started struggling. Yeah, I don't know that Jerry even wants to risk that because I think Jerry's sitting there saying we need to win as many games as possible and have home field. Like if you're like it's the, like the way the Patriots these days. Like I always feel like September is really the preseason for the Patriots. Like yeah. I mean, they they were two and two most years. They lost to the Lions last year. They scored like 10 points against the Lions. And it's like, yeah, whatever. Mike, well, you know, and everyone flips out. Oh, Patriots are finally done. Brady stinks. They're all fighting. And then, you know, boom, Super Bowl. So, but I don't think the Cowboys have that confidence or that margin for error where they're just like, yeah, we don't really care what's going on until later in the season. They, they want to have that home field advantage, uh, in the playoffs. And so I, I, this is what they're building to. He's re-signed a lot of guys. He's going to have to sign Prescott. Uh, there's a, there's a lot to do for the Cowboys, and they, they went they they, they let Elliot get something out of this, and it, maybe this just wasn't the time for Jerry Jones to play hardball. He just doesn't have that kind of patience.
3: Yeah, and maybe the answer is Jerry Jones uh, doesn't want to play hardball because of his age. You know, like yeah. I, I, I when you're already won a Super Bowl and whatever Jerry Jones seventy five, seventy six, seventy seven. Uh, it feels different probably to him now than it did when Emmett Smith is holding out and Jerry Jones at the time was what like 50 years old and he's like, well what I mean I'm Jerry Jones like I own the Cowboys. what's he gonna do, to do the balance of power and then the team stunk and he was like, all right, let's get this deal done. Uh, but uh, this whole story in and of itself was funny because Jerry Jones is like updating us every, like everybody was leaking so much to the media during the course of this negotiation. I'm not sure that we've ever seen anything like this before
7: yeah well, there was also this theory is Jerry and, and they had basically come to terms on a deal early and Jerry disliked having the cowboys on everyone talking about the cowboys that, the is, last
3: that would be now that would be next to level if they had already agreed right. to a deal and he's like, let's just play this up, Zeke like behind the scenes let's like or, a, yeah yeah
7: we could we can make this deal. you chill out, you relax, you'll be fine. hang out in Cabo. we're gonna we'll come to something close. And then we get two months of, of the Cowboy logo on the ESPN every day. And, and everybody talking about the Cowboys, Cowboys, Cowboys. And it makes <laughs> that, you more famous, makes us more
3: famous. That would be next to level uh Barnum and Bailey, uh, you know, like ringmaster yeah. performance by uh, by Jerry Jerry's Jones. Jerry's
7: pretty smart. That's kind of a Jerry Jones kind of thing that he would care about.
3: Yeah. <laughs> oh, I mean, that yeah. is that is incredible. reporter's
7: that favorite be. owner. He gives a press conference after every game. He yeah. hangs out after... I love covering the Cowboys. You don't have to talk to the players. It's like a bad loss. I was there one time. He goes, ah, if if I wasn't the GM, I'd fire myself. Uh, I'm not doing a good job. You know, great stuff.
3: Well, it's also amazing is, like I, I said this the other day, I think Jerry Jones talks to the media more than the other 31 NFL owners do combined. Like on the record. Probably true. I mean, I'm sure there's There's a lot of back channel conversations a lot of times between NFL owners and media and everything else. You know how that stuff works. But in terms of like. Not a lot. Yeah,
7: but there's some. Yeah. Yeah. Arthur Blaine is a few guys, but not many. Yeah. You're not getting like Martha Firestone Ford's uh, cell to to text her. Yeah. And certainly
3: they're not having press conferences (laughs) on a regular basis to. After uh,
7: every game win or lose. Yeah. Like, the worst loss. Like, yeah, Robert Kraft is in the locker room after the AFC Championship game. Hey, Mr. Kraft, what do you think? No. Yeah. Like, yeah, they're all there then. But after the worst loss you ever seen, he'll be there fuming just like a fan. And, you know, it's like, hey, that's it's the way the Cowboys do it. That's the way they always have. And guess what? I, I, maybe the Patriots are more popular now. Maybe. But that's only because they've won, whatever, six Super Bowls. Since the Cowboys have won one, Cowboys are still probably the most popular team in the NFL, and so maybe they did do this. Who knows? It's good. It's a good con- uh, conspiracy theory. Remember, he was like joking with them, and then yeah, the media was like, "You can't joke with them." And he's like, "Relax, I I've earned the
3: right to do it."
7: Yeah.
3: Oh, I mean, Seems it's like a- it was pretty.
7: Pretty good deal. I mean, Zeke flew back this week. I'm going with it. Let's go with the
3: conspiracy. Even even the decision to go to Cabo was funny and ridiculous and designed to get more attention, right? Like he why why did he go to Cabo? Like he could have been in anywhere in Texas, right? First of all, I mean, maybe it's just that he's too famous. But of all the places you could be, Cabo isn't that
7: where um, Tony Romo and Jessica Simpson went during the bye
3: week of the playoffs? Yeah, Jason Witten they flew down to Cabo for the bye week. (laughs) Famous. And then they got caught in the telephoto, telephoto lenses on the photos there, which was, I mean, just a perfect Cowboy story. And then, of course, they lost.
7: <laughs> but if you could spend the weekend with Jessica Simpson in Cabo or even win an NFL playoff game, that was, game. I mean, that was Jessica, like a moral debate.
3: Yeah, that yeah. was peak Jessica Simpson, too, wasn't oh, it? Wasn't yeah, that like right a, after the Dukes of Hazard?
7: Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of guys who are like, eh, a lot of people win.
3: Well, you know, and then a lot it got taken.
7: when playoff games, not you know. You don't get to you know. So got to make your life decisions. Tony was living a good life. I, I think
3: he, he does all right. Well, what's funny also is, in retrospect, going to Cabo on a bye week seems so much less than you know, like the boat trip that Odell Beckham Jr. and those guys took. <laughs> Remember where they're like in right. uh, you know, jeans, sitting on the the yacht, like, and then they go lose, and I think it was Green Bay. I mean, yeah. It was their day off during the, the playoff week
7: distracted they were distracted that was the big thing they're like no we just were chilled out we got some actual get some rest
3: yeah eh, you know
7: look the media we, we're vultures we can turn anything into a big deal
3: It is pretty crazy all right well I'll let you go right about Ezekiel Elliott which I'm sure you're going to turn around and end up doing here uh, shortly but uh, this is a great story thanks for coming on and uh, what I was initially going to ask you about was uh let me ask you this question as you as you leave. Sure. Gronk I so. has got – I know you've covered Gronk and the Patriots a lot. Do you think Gronk is done? I do not think Gronk is done. Do you think he'll come back this year?
7: I think there's a there's a I, – I, I still think it's 50-50 that he's back after Thanksgiving. I've said that from the start. I'm sticking with it. Uh, there was a bit on Adam Schefter's podcast where he says, what happens if Brady calls you and says, come on, man, come back? It's December – you rested four weeks, playoffs, three games. Let's do this, and he just laughed and made a joke of it and all that. And I, I think, it, look, Ron clearly has some taking care of his mental health, which is great. And we should all, considering how many sad stories we hear about ex football players, right? I'm glad he's doing that. But if he gets in a good place and physically he's feeling good, I, I think he comes back.
3: Uh, Outstanding stuff as always. Dan Wetzel, you can read him at Yahoo Sports at Dan Wetzel on Twitter. Appreciate you hopping on with us right here with the breaking news.
7: All right, anytime, man. This
3: is
4: Outkick, the coverage with Clay Travis.
3: Welcome back Geico Outkick Studios big breaking news Ezekiel Elliott agrees to an extension with the Dallas Cowboys expected to show up at the facility today good timing we bring in now Brian Billick NFL Network analyst as well as Super Bowl champ with the Baltimore Ravens when you hear these terms is any running back worth 15 million dollars a year in your mind in the NFL these days
0: Wow, anymore when you talk about the numbers, whether it's a quarterback or a running back, you're talking 15, 20, 25 million, 110 guaranteed, I think, in the Jared Goff contract. No, it's, it's hard to fathom. But that is life in the National Football League right now. I mean, and these are the numbers. So yeah, if you're going to pay a back that certainly Ezekiel Elliott is the back you're going to pay. This is a 300 plus carry guy is a huge part of the offense. Uh, and, and you knew it was going to be large because this is, This is his big payday. You know, a running back, it's that second contract. Very rarely do you get the third contract as you approach 30 and go beyond. Those numbers aren't particularly good. So you knew it was going to be a big number. Uh, And Dallas, you kind of got the sense that Dallas uh, was going to piece this thing together because of what he represented to the Cowboys.
3: Were you ever involved as a head coach in any negotiation that extended like this one did and went on this long? Or did you kind of take a seat back? Like, how were you involved initially as a head coach and later uh, in your career in terms of trying to assess value for players?
0: Well, as a coach, because you've got to deal with the player when it's all said and done. And so you kind of keep, you try to stay arm's length from it. Yeah, And I made the mistake on a couple instances of not uh, and, and, then that puts you in a tough position with the player, even though ultimately, yes, you are involved with it. And, and you're a part of the decision process by the administration and the organization to say, okay, are we going to put this percentage of our cap in, this amount of resources into this individual player? Cause it's really a matter, not a matter of the dollars because at the end of the day, it's not my money. So yeah, give them the 15 million. But when you sit down as a coach and you have to reason and, and understand, okay, if we do this, then this is going to cost you player A, B, and C. Well, now you're putting it in very real terms because now that's that snaps on the field. That's, that's going to affect the wins and losses of a given year. And so you're constantly balancing the equation as a coach, not from the money standpoint, but, okay, is, is player A worth players B, C, and D, uh, because of the amount of cap space that you have then to address the next next player, uh, and not the least of which now when you're, and that, this is the non-quarterback position. The tough one is for a team that gets kind of a freebie on a young quarterback. The Rams have been on a nice little roll for a couple of years because they haven't had to pay the quarterback. Well, now they do, and that's going to affect how they then can pay the other players. So, yeah, it's a part of the equation, but it's always a matter of, well, who's this going to cost me?
3: We're talking to Brian Billick. I want to go into that in particular because I think it's fascinating, and I don't know necessarily that that many fans have really realized how much of a sea change it is in the way that we value draft picks. The last draft pick to get a massive contract, I believe I'm correct in this, number one pick, uh, number one overall was Sam Bradford. Then the new NFL collective bargaining agreement goes into place, and if I'm not mistaken, I believe that Kyler Murray – is going to make around $9 million, $10 million-ish guaranteed each of the next four years, which is wildly under market if he turns out, as you said, to be a good quarterback. Then you get him under these rookie contracts like Russell Wilson happened with the Seattle Seahawks. Like, honestly, Dak has been for the Dallas Cowboys, allowing you to bend or build around elsewhere. That was a response to the idea that the Sam Bradford-ish contracts were way too high What's the right number here as you look towards the next CBA? Did they go too far in making rookie contracts not as valuable? How do you think you should assess that going forward if you were just looking at it from an NFL perspective?
0: Well, no, I, I think and, and the, the, the original premise, I think it was a sound one, was basically that, okay, we're going to make sure we get as much of this money going to the veterans as yes. we can to give an untested rookie, as we've talked about, this, these wild amounts of money that we did before, um, uh, but all it really is doing is delaying the process as we just talked about now, whether it's four or five years down the line and you have to account for that, that, okay, you're going to get kind of a, I don't want to say a freebie when you're paying a guy nine, $10 million a year, but you're going to kind of get a freebie over the first initial parts of this. When you draft high, particularly when you take a quarterback, cause you've got to know that next contract's looming. And that's going to affect your ability to sign, particularly when you're talking about a quarterback. And we're getting more and more towards like the NBA, I guess, with these quarterback contracts, because it's not just the amount of money, but it's the amount of money that's guaranteed. Uh, and that's the one that really hits you as an organization. Um it, it, from the standpoint of how far you can amortize this out and your ability to sign other players.
3: You were a guy who really had good relationships with offenses, even though you had maybe the best defense of all time when you won a Super Bowl. But a big part of the offensive uh, change in the NFL has been the decline of the running back. Sometimes things are cyclical, though, in the NFL. Do you think we are in a period of time where the running back continues to diminish, or could it cycle back up where the run game becomes popular again. In essence, has the passing game so overtaken the running game that it never changes again in the NFL?
0: Well, the rules obviously have pushed us towards a more pass-happy league, which I think everybody wants. If you're 60-40, 60% pass, 40% run, you're kind of viewed as a 50-50 running passing team, which obviously isn't the case. We're going more and more towards smaller defenses, The amount of nickel, uh, I was doing the Ravens preseason game, and Wink Martindale said they were in base defense less than about uh, 15%, 16% of the time. So defenses are getting smaller. So it would lend itself to the fact that, yeah, if you want to get big and pound a running back at these smaller defenses, it would make sense. I think the devaluing, and it's not the devaluing of the talent. There are some great running backs that have come into the league, and we just see the way we're paying Ezekiel Elliott. I think it's the fact that you can get running backs in later later draft picks or you can combine and it's running back by committee that makes a difference. So I don't think it's a devaluing. It's just shifting the priorities at the running back position due to the number of players that you can throw at that position. And we're looking at running backs that, uh, you know whether it be a Todd Gurley or a Melvin Gordon, what they do out of the backfield is a bigger and bigger component as well in terms of passing game.
3: I know the Ezekiel Elliott contract details just came down, so you're probably following this story like a lot of us. Reports are that he's getting $50 million guaranteed. Uh, it's an eight-year, $103 million extension. A lot of times that these numbers are for agents to be able to bandy about on the back end of the deal and brag about, even if they never get touched. Uh, the, the key part, like you said, is the guaranteed money. Jared Goff getting over $100 million guaranteed. Which do you think is the better deal in like sort of the immediate aftermath, the Cowboys getting Zeke in or the, uh, or the Rams getting Jared Goff done?
0: Well, this goes back to our previous conversation, the importance of the quarterback versus the running back, taking nothing away from the running back. Have your quarterback position set now for the Rams for the next foreseeable future. And you're right, the guaranteed money, when you look at the guaranteed money of the quarterback versus the it's half right we if indeed those numbers you just laid out were true that the guaranteed money is half of the quarterback well that answers your question right follow the money uh and if it's a 50 million dollar contract and the fact of the matter is ezekiel Elliott and his agent can jump up and high five and throw their hands over the head and said we win we won look what a great contract and you know what's going to happen two maybe three years down the line well we were going to renegotiate yeah we want to we want to we want another contract because we've gobbled up the plus side of that. I remember Ozzie Newsom, when we negotiate contracts, would always tell the players that, that if you're talking about a four- or five-year contract, that, okay, the first couple of years are your win. You win. You get the big money. But the last couple of years, that's for the organization because now that number comes back to where that gives us a cap-manageable number later on. Uh, but then the player gets up. They kind of forget that conversation. Oh, yeah. Okay, I got my win early. And yeah, I understand that in year four and five or year three and four, the numbers aren't going to be good until you get to year three and four and it's going, oh, yeah, I'm underpaid. I need a new contract.
3: It's like the conversation I have with my uh, kids when I tell them, all right, if you get lunch now, I mean, if you get dessert now for lunch, you don't get it for dinner. It's a great deal for them at lunch. But when it's dinner time and they don't get double dessert, they're asking me what in the world's going on. Who are, uh, yeah. who are you here with us, uh, coach?
0: Well, I'm, I'm excited. I'm working with Roman this year, and a lot of people are becoming familiar with Roman as a service. You know, my, my generation of guys, the post-40, I'm in my mid-60s, and all the things that go with when you become this age and, and physically the things that you're going through, and, and to have a service like Roman, it basically is a concierge doctor. You know, men my age, less than 50% of the time, they go to the doctor over a two-year period of time. Uh, And even though you should, because there's obviously a number of things going on, uh, and and you need that access. And Roman can give you that access. It's like a concierge doctor that if you can go to, they can point you in the right directions. They're licensed. They're FDA approved. Uh, This is a real resource for men that they ought to be able to take advantage of. I'm excited. Like I said, I'm 65 years old. For years I was in the NFL, could walk down the door and see, you know, the best trainers and doctors in in the land – I don't have that now. So to be able to have this access through Roman and through the website, um, it's it's a tremendous asset, and guys in our generation and my age definitely
3: ought to check this out. Appreciate that. That's Brian Billick, uh, Super Bowl-winning coach of the Baltimore Ravens and NFL Network Analyst. Great stuff, as always. Appreciate you making the time. Sounds
4: great. Be sure to catch live editions of Outkick, the coverage with Clay Travis weekdays at 6 a.m. Eastern, 3 a.m. Pacific
3: welcome back geico outkick studios breaking news for those of you just waking up across the country ezekiel elliott has agreed to terms now the devil is always in the details when it comes to these nfl contracts so you are going to see a lot of people talking about the dallas cowboys signing an eight-year 103 million dollar extension with ezekiel elliott that will be a huge story All the headlines will have $100 million contract, Ezekiel Elliott, highest pay. What really matters when you drill it down is only the guaranteed money. And reports are that the guaranteed money is just $50 million, which isn't, again, like to have $50 million guaranteed this morning. I'm sure you guys would as well. But you have to look at that $50 million guaranteed and continue to break it down within the context of the existing deals, right? So, uh, Ezekiel Elliott, remember, still has two years left on his contract as a uh, as a uh, player for the Dallas Cowboys. His cap hit this year is right at $8 million. He's still under his rookie contract. His cap hit next year was right at $9 million. All right? So, when you look at what his uh, what his impact is going to be here, that is roughly what? Nine, and, and live, live math is always tough with me here. Nine and eight is $17 million, right? $17 million that he was scheduled to make for the next two years. And they're keeping that existing contract in place. And then they're adding six more years on the backside to it. And the six years they're adding on the backside to it is six years, $90 million, all right? Why does this matter? The six years, $90 million that they added allows Ezekiel Elliott to say, I'm the highest paid running back ever in this league, but my bet would be that much of those $90 million is on the back end of a deal that Ezekiel Elliott will never see, and that this is more likely to be a four-year $50 million deal, which would mean that Ezekiel Elliott is only averaging $12.5 million a year. That's my bet. Again, if it is only $50 million guaranteed, my bet is effectively they've given Ezekiel Elliott more of that money up front, but really this is a four-year $50 million deal, and then they will tear up the remainder. Now, we'll eventually get all the dollar figures going forward, But I think this, to a large extent, was about ego. It's not a coincidence that they went over $100 million. The team really doesn't care about non-guaranteed money in contracts because it doesn't exist. They can just cut Ezekiel Elliott, never owe him the other $53 million. And so I think before all is said and done, a lot of people are going to say, oh, Ezekiel Elliott won, huge win for him, blah, blah, blah. If you actually break it down, and their Cowboys are only guaranteeing him $50 million, and they're getting him for four years at that $50 million price, that's a hell of a win for the Cowboys in my mind. Because Ezekiel Elliott, as good as he is, probably only has four or five years left of being a high-level running back in this league. He's already got some wear and tear on him with the amount that they're using him. Maybe he's going to play and be great in his upper 20s. Most running backs aren't the NFL chews up and spits out running backs at a really fast rate. So I don't begrudge Ezekiel Elliott for wanting more money. Now the risk is squarely on the Cowboys if he comes out and gets injured, obviously. That's where the Cowboys end up not being able to recoup any of this. And that's the danger, certainly, at the running back position in general, is that somebody can get substantially injured and never really come back from it, unlike... At a quarterback where by and large, unless you got an Alex Smith type injury, you're always able to come back again. This is Outkick the Coverage with Clay Travis. Big news, if you're just waking up on the West Coast, appreciate you hanging out with us here on Outkick. Ezekiel Elliott has agreed to a contract. He is supposedly going to be at the Dallas Cowboy facility today, and the plan is that he will play in week one. What are the contract terms? According to Ian Rapoport, who was the first person I saw have it, uh, it is an eight-year, $103 million contract for Ezekiel Elliott. Now, there are a lot of things that we need to unpack in this deal that are important, that are often overlooked in exchange for the big headline. The big headline, which you will see everywhere from a lot of people who are not very smart, and because there's a lot of people in the world of sports media who are not very smart, is the eight-year, $103 million contract, including a six, uh, six-year, $90 million extension. All right. Which would make uh, Ezekiel Elliott the highest paid running back and the highest paid running back ever based on those dollar figures. But what matters is not the entirety of the contract because in the NFL, unlike the NBA and unlike in Major League Baseball, the contract terms are not guaranteed for the life of the deal. So, really unlike, say, when Bryce Harper signs his big deal with the Philadelphia Phillies and whatever that dollar figure is, you know he's going to get every dollar. And unlike when LeBron James or Kevin Durant or whoever they are sign big deals in the NBA, you know they're going to get every dollar remaining on their contract because their contracts are guaranteed. Immediately, you knock $53 million off of Ezekiel Elliott's contract because it isn't guaranteed. Teams are happy to stack extra years onto deals so that players and agents can look like they're making a lot more money than they are. But Ezekiel Elliott signed an eight or will sign an eight year extension for $103 million. What matters is the guaranteed money, and there's only uh only right now it appears fifty million. Guaranteed. All right. So really, knock off immediately. The fifty-three million, the years on the back end of this deal will never happen. It doesn't matter. The focal point here is the fifty million guaranteed Now, I'm looking at Sport Track, which does a pretty good job of keeping track of everybody's salaries. And according to the cap hit, and that's what I like to look at too, as opposed to where the money is and everything else. Ezekiel Elliott is scheduled in the next two years to make right at $17 million, okay? So the Cowboys were already obligated to pay Ezekiel Elliott $17 million over the next two years. That means that if they were able to get the next two years of that contract done at $33 million, they would get effectively Ezekiel Elliott for four years, $50 million, an average of 12.5 a year over the life of that four years. Now, if it's a five-year deal, then it's an average of just $10 million a year. So again, a lot of people are going to say, oh, he got more guaranteed, he got more money than Todd Gurley. Not necessarily the case. He got $50 million guaranteed here. Todd Gurley got $45 million guaranteed. So he got more guaranteed money, but he may not necessarily, depending on how many years his deal is, end up with a ton more money. Again, a lot of people are going to focus on that eight-year $103 million. What you need to focus on, if you are smart, is the $50 million guaranteed. And before all is said and done, Ezekiel Elliott might be, if this is a four-year deal only averaging $12.5 million a year uh, over the guaranteed portion of his contract. He might even be averaging, if it's a five-year deal, only $10, uh, $10 million a year. Because remember, he was already under contract for two years remaining, and they've added six more, but a lot of those dollars will be at the very end of the deal that don't actually end up ever going into Ezekiel Elliott's pocket. So, this can be both a contract that gets a lot of attention and makes people think that Ezekiel Elliott, quote, won. And simultaneously, the Dallas Cowboys may be laughing as they walk to cash these checks and send them to Ezekiel Elliott because they might be like, dude, we got a young uh, running back. He's locked in for four years. That's our only only, uh, dollar figure here. Now, what is significant for Ezekiel Elliott is, and we used to talk about this all the time, when I would work on contracts as a, uh, as a lawyer, uh, for those of you out there who've forgotten, I've got my lawyer hat on now uh, because I'm still a licensed attorney and I still practice law. A big part of any deal is who bears the risk of loss. And if you're not aware of what risk of loss is, it's let's say you own a home and that home gets completely wiped out by a storm, you know, a flood, it burns down, whatever it is. Who has the risk of loss on that home? Well, if you have health insurance, I mean, if you have uh, home insurance and it's home insurance that's being paid in a uh, good manner by a company in good standing, then the risk of loss is with the home insurance company. And that's the reason why we pay home insurance, right? We're like, okay, I love my house. I love living here. But what if the worst thing possible happens? What if it gets struck by lightning while we're out to dinner? and the entire structure burns down. Oh, my God, my only physical asset is my home. I've got several hundred thousand dollars in value in my home, and boom, it just burned down overnight, and now all I have is this physical location where my house used to be. That's why people buy insurance. The risk of loss on Ezekiel Ezekiel Elliott as soon as this contract is signed passes from Zeke, Because if he gets injured, he doesn't have that much guaranteed money to now the Dallas Cowboys. So that is the biggest win for Ezekiel Elliott. It's that he gets this guaranteed dollar. And if he goes out and he tears his ACL in week one playing against the Giants, the Cowboys are still on the hook for $50 million, even if it takes Ezekiel Elliott a long time to rehab and even if he's never the same player he was before. So that's the risk that the Cowboys have taken. But from a pure dollar perspective, I don't think it's that bad of a deal at all. Let me bring in my guy Chad Withrow at Withrow's Own. Uh, Withrow, what were your thoughts as this Ezekiel Elliott news broke?
8: Well, it's good news for the Cowboys. I mean, he is such an integral part of
3: their offense. They, they had to get it done.
8: And I think you just summed it up well, Clay, with the, with the insurance analogy on it. Um, look, I, I just believe in today's NFL – It's foolish to pay this much money for a running back. But, and we've talked about this before, there are maybe two or three guys in the league that's worth it. Todd Gurley, who he just surpassed, uh, would pay. uh, And and Zeke Elliott are are two of those guys. So overall, I mean, I think it's good for the Cowboys that he's there. Uh, But you're right. I mean, look, I I still feel like it's a position where you can cycle through guys pretty well. We had our big show fantasy football draft last night, and it's a 14-player league. And when you get your first running back and you start to cycle through the next round of running backs, you see guys that are probably going to put up a lot of fantasy football points and put up a lot of touchdowns and yards that aren't household names on teams right now. I just think it's a a very interchangeable position at most spots. But again, probably not so much for the Cowboys because Zeke Yelly is such a big part of everything that they do.
3: Well, also, it's important to remember that he still had two years left on his deal. So the Cowboys, right. according to cap purposes uh, for his salary, still had to pay him $17 million. Now, again, somebody out there who's like a capologist is going to be like, actually, they had already paid him out in 2000. Okay, right. I care about what do you count against the cap, right? So they right. were on the track for uh, $17 million already. And again, we'll find out exactly what the terms are. I'm assuming this is going to be a four-year deal uh, where the $50 million is guaranteed over four years. If it's three years and they guaranteed him $50 million, that seems crazy to me uh, because then he's wildly overpaid. But at four years, it would be 12.5 a year. That doesn't seem like a ludicrous dollar figure. Again, a lot of people are going to focus on the $53 million uh, that is not guaranteed in this contract. But the only thing that matters is guaranteed money.
8: Well, and I'm sure they've backloaded it. You, yeah. know, you, you probably need the capologist on to look at that also. But the way it is, two years left on, and now it's the up to six year extension. I mean, I'm sure a lot of that money is going to be on the back end of that in case something happens to him. But, but yeah, I mean, look, I I think money wise, you know, it's it's probably right. It's just anytime you get into this dollar figure for a running back, I think it's a it's an iffy proposition. In today's modern NFL.
3: Yeah, and I think it's also interesting when we talk about these big contracts. When, and I was just using this as an example, when Bryce Harper signs with the Philadelphia Phillies, every dollar that he signs for is guaranteed over the life of his deal, right? I mean, he may well, now he may get traded or he might have to play for a different team. I mean, there are a variety of different things that could happen, but he's going to get all of his money. When Kevin Durant signs with the Brooklyn Nets, every dollar that he signs for, whether he ever comes back from that uh, Achilles injury, is guaranteed, right? Like, we know that he is going to get all of his money. Same thing in the NHL. Uh, I think to a large extent all of those contracts are guaranteed. NFL, there's a lot of artificial padding on these contracts because the teams will give you tons of dollars on the back end of these deals because they know they're never going to get to it. That's particularly the case with a running back.
8: Yeah, I mean, that, that number, you know, the dollar figure they show you, obviously, is very artificial because most of the time you're not going to see the back end of that contract in the NFL. And it is funny, too, to me. you know, we, I think sports fans love the non-guaranteed contract in the yeah. NFL. And it's the nature of the sport because of the injuries. But, you know, Bryce Harper makes that money, for instance. I mean, if you're a Phillies fan, you're thrilled to get Bryce Harper, right? Do a lot of Phillies fans say, well, that's guaranteed money, so he's just going to dog it now? That he's making that much money, and and he, you know, there's no, there's no insurance that he's going to play well over the life of that contract, or he's going to give it his all every day, or whatever it may be. I mean, the Phillies are a team that have been questioned how hard they play, uh, from day to day, game to game. It's it's just fascinating to really, me the dynamic of each sport and how fans treat it based on guaranteed money. And look, I think it's a necessity in the NFL because of because of the injuries that you have these contracts set up this way where you get a certain amount of guaranteed money and a signing bonus. And then the rest isn't guaranteed. But also, it fascinates me that fans don't really treat the other sports that way and oftentimes question, oh, this guy's going to make this money and then he's going to quit or he's not going to rehab properly if he gets hurt or whatever it may be.
3: Yeah, the thing I think, and again, they're going to renegotiate in the collective bargaining agreement, and there's always talk about guaranteed monies. I almost think that in the NFL they should say, hey, you can't sign a contract for more than three or four years. Because effectively, all these deals are three or four years because the horizon, maybe with the possible exception of quarterbacks where you feel better about long-range success, but even at quarterback, I mean, look at what happened with the Washington Redskins with Alex Smith getting the injury that he did to his leg. I mean, all that money is guaranteed for years and years and years. If I were advising them for the next CBA, what I would say is get more guaranteed money but also give teams an out when catastrophic injuries occur, right? Like, it seems unfair to me, and you may agree or disagree with this, but let's say that Ezekiel Elliott goes out and he has an Alex Smith-like injury uh, in the second game after he signs this $50 million deal. I think that teams should be able to get a player or two that they sign to long-term deals where that money can come outside of the cap, right? Like, to me, it seems fair uh, for a catastrophic injury, if a doctor agrees and everybody looks at it and they're like, okay, Alex Smith has a catastrophic injury, that the Washington Redskins are hamstrung under the salary cap because this guy got a catastrophic injury and they guaranteed him money, right? That's why the teams don't want to guarantee the money because it's not just that they don't want to give the players the money. It's that if you give Alex Smith $20 million plus a year and then he gets this catastrophic injury you're locked in on those dollars and your team is suffering as a result. And that doesn't really seem like a desired outcome for everybody.
8: Yeah. I mean, I, that's an interesting point, Clay. And I, 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 I kind of like it, but also what's to stop teams from being more reckless with guaranteed money to well, lure I think em- you'd lower yeah, it's,
3: it's It's a good question. I think you would have to limit the number of guys that you could have this happen for, yeah. and you might have to have an independent medical at board, to actually look at it and say, oh, you know what? Like, you're actually injured. It it reminds me a little bit, like, there were guys, and it still happens, I think, sometimes in college football, they would bring in a guy and they would say, oh, he can't continue. He's injured out, so his scholarship is going to come back into the pool, uh, but he's going to stop playing football, but he'll finish playing, he'll finish his career at insert school here, right? And that was becoming common because if he stayed on scholarship – like it was harder to kick him off, but if he was medically uh, like kind of out of the out of the sport, then you get that scholarship freed back up. So I think you have to make sure that somebody's not taking advantage of it. But I think in a case of, for instance, Alex Smith, when he's you know when it's clear that he's having multiple surgeries, when he, when you can look at his leg and be like, okay, the Redskins aren't faking this. Um, it doesn't happen all the time, but I think it would be something that if I were representing the players and also the owners. That's maybe an angle because what it does is it diminishes the overall quality of the game when the Redskins, for instance, can't afford to spend the money they have on Alex Smith uh, because of that. And the team wouldn't have to do it, right? If you're if you're constrained from uh, from salary cap purposes and you can only afford to pay whatever the salary cap is, but I think it would be uh, it would be a good situation, and also the teams could insure for it because you can take out catastrophic injury insurance for purposes of uh injuries such as these
8: well and maybe the idea like you said clay of just like you franchise a player and you can only do that with a certain amount what yeah. if you had a medical exemption player? Yeah, like you designate, like you designate a player that has the every the year you could have one helmet. one guy, right? You know, at you most can, you can sign one big free agent or bring a guy and say you're going to be our medical exemption, so we'll get that money back on the salary cap if you're hurt. Um, I
3: like it. All right, yeah, I, I, that's something that I would look at that I think could go a long way towards helping to guarantee salaries, but also limiting risk for both owners, uh, teams, and players. All right, uh, so uh, you uh, have had several days to deal with the calamity that befell uh, the University of Tennessee and their loss to Georgia State. Now that we are three days away from kickoff against BYU, is this the worst Tennessee football loss of all time? And how would you contextualize it, say, compared to a Michigan and App State game?
8: Well, I think everything now is just bigger, you know, because, because of social media, because of all the media that's out there. So, yes, it is the worst Tennessee football loss of all time. I don't want to say worse, because I think Peyton Manning going to Memphis in 96 yeah. and losing with a team that could win the national title and losing to that bad Memphis team is worse um, and more devastating. But the fact it happened in the first week and Tennessee just really didn't look that enthused to play is very strange and raises a lot of questions about Jeremy Pruitt and that staff. Um, and it's just kind of a you know a bit of a season killer. Before the season even starts, and because it's covered the way it is, you become this national laughing stock. I think it's worse from that respect, but it's not. I mean, it's not Michigan and uh, and App State. Michigan was a top ten team. App State was not a Division one program at the time. Uh, We've seen FCS programs every year knock off Power Five schools, right, or Division one schools. Typically, it happens multiple times in a year. You know, Minnesota almost lost to an FCS school in South Dakota State. It does happen. It's just the way in which it happens, play. and the fact that Sean Elliott, Georgia State's coach, basically said after the game, I mean, we knew we were going to come in here and win. We watched on film, and we felt like we could control the line of scrimmage. That is a damning statement on the current status of Tennessee football.
6: And we knew they were
8: going to be probably mediocre at best this year or a little bit above, but to hear that from an opposing coach of Georgia State who was 2-10 and last year in the Sun Belt That is not a good spot to be in. I'm shocked by the way Tennessee's favored and opened up as a favorite over BYU. Absolutely shocked. I don't understand that at all.
3: Yeah, from a gambling perspective, and this is why I think everything is a probability-related exercise, typically uh, gambling markets don't overreact to one game. Uh, And I always try to talk about this when you're trying to put things into perspective. Every game, let's pretend that Tennessee and Georgia State played 6,000 hours of football instead of 60 minutes of football. What Vegas is saying when they set the line is, the probability is that Tennessee is, whatever it is, a 25- or 26-point favorite. But in the course of that 6,000 hours of games, if you went in and took out any individual 60 minutes, you could sometimes get an aberrant result, which could be 34 points different than our projected outcome. So Vegas thinks about this as almost like a game that never ends, and we just happen to pull out the 60 minutes where Georgia State pulled off the upset. But what they're saying is the overall quality of Tennessee's team is not that different, and we think this time when the 60 minutes gets pulled out of the potential 6,000 that Tennessee could play against BYU, that Tennessee in Neyland Stadium is about a three-and-a-half-point favorite on the average 60-minute segment – that would be pulled out of the sort of carousel of games. And I think if you think of it in that way, it makes more sense. And football is unique. Uh, People kind of get it, I think, when we talk about like a seven-game series in Major League Baseball or in uh, the NBA. Because any one of those games can be wildly different. A team that loses in five games can also win by 40 points in an NBA Finals game, right? Like they could lose the series. And so I think people tend to think that whatever happens in college football, to a lesser extent NFL because you have multiple division games, but in college football it's like, oh, whatever happened this 160 minutes would happen again and again and again. Well, it's not necessarily the case at all. Now, let me say this too. We're talking about the Tennessee-Georgia State thing. I think from the perspective of fan who loses, uh, whose team loses a big game or loses a game as an upset fashion, I was more upset and remain far more upset about, for instance, Tennessee losing the Sweet 16 game against Purdue because that was a team that was capable of winning a championship. So, yeah. And that was difficult for me to sleep after that night. Like, I was – broken down right like the way that Purdue won that game in overtime in the NCAA tournament proven
8: by the next game Purdue loses in overtime right to the eventual national champion Virginia Tennessee would
3: have had a great shot to beat Virginia also just like Purdue did and it would have had a good chance of winning a national championship once you make it to the elite eight you know one of the eight teams is going to win and so they were that close to being within you know a, a whisker of winning a title and I get more crushed when my team is good and they lose a chance to win a championship than I do when my team is mediocre and they and some people like don't believe this they're like oh there's no way this no I, like trust me like my psychology on Tennessee after losing to Georgia State is like it sucks but it's not like I I don't root for a team because I'm like oh they went seven and five this year instead of six and six seven and five and six and six in my mind are almost identical records right you're mediocre and the season's not that much fun to watch. Whereas if you're competing for a championship and you lose, that's when I think it's devastating.
8: Yeah. Well, and one thing I'll say about the Tennessee loss also, it's like I said with Peyton
3: Manning in 96 losing at Memphis. That was much more heartbreaking and crushing because that was
8: a legitimately great team. And they went to Memphis and lost. And the thing about Tennessee-Georgia State is, by God, it's the first game. So it kind of, if you're a Tennessee fan, it ruins your college football weekend losing a game like that. But then also you look at it a few days later and you can say, my God, it's the first game, right? Yeah. They're favored against BYU. Uh, there's still a lot of games to play. South Carolina loses their quarterback, what it looks like for the season. The rest of the SEC does not look very good. There's still a scenario where if Tennessee improves, and obviously they're going to play better than they did against Georgia State. They're not going to play like that every single game, you would think. And at least Vegas thinks that also with your 6,000-minute analogy you put out there. But you could still possibly recover – and have a decent season. I know that seems far-fetched for Tennessee fans or anyone in college football right now, but it's the truth. And it's how I'm sure the coaches and players will probably treat it as this week moves on was, hey, it was awful. It was a disaster. It's also one game. It was also the first game of the season. There's 11 of these left, and a lot of things can happen. A lot of things can happen around you. A lot of things can happen to you to where the season could improve. But certainly for Tennessee, there's, there's only one direction to go, and that's up. Uh, after that loss on Saturday.
3: Good stuff, uh, as always. Appreciate uh, you coming on. We'll talk to you next week. That's Chad Withrow at Withrow Zone. You can listen to him on 104.5 The Zone. Follow him there uh, on his Twitter feed at Withrow Zone.
4: Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com. And within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live.
3: Welcome back, Geico Outkick Studios. Appreciate all of you hanging out with us. All right, big news, Ezekiel Elliott signs his contract. It'll be reported as an eight-year, $103 million deal. The important thing is only $50 million guaranteed of that $103 million deal. Again, we'll find out all of the exact permutations of this deal in the days ahead, but that is the biggest takeaway What questions do you guys have for me? I'm also going to hop in social media if you guys have questions, trying to make you as smart as we possibly can so that you, when you roll into work or school, are best able to discuss this compared to some of the other knuckleheads that will be uh, around your uh, location. All right, what questions? Anybody out there in the crew have questions about this deal?
5: Well, we started off the show before this news broke in hour two. In hour one, you asked us the question, which general manager would you rather be, the GM of the LA Rams or the GM of the Dallas Cowboys?
3: Yeah, because the big story when we started was that Jared Goff had gotten a big deal with over $100 million guaranteed. And I think that's one way to look at the value of the respective positions is Jared Goff, who I think a lot of you out there would say is a good, not great quarterback for the LA Rams, who happens to be paired with a great coach in Sean McVay, I think that would be the general consensus opinion, got over $100 million, and now Ezekiel Elliott is getting $50 million. But that's a difference in the overall uh, value of the contracts. Um, I would rather still have Jared Goff. And the reason I'd rather have Jared Goff is, notwithstanding what happened to Alex Smith, The risk now of injury is entirely on the Dallas Cowboys with Ezekiel Elliott. Let's say that Ezekiel Elliott comes back week one against the Giants and blows out his knee. The Cowboys are going to have to pay him $50 million no matter what. Now, he may be able to come back the next year and be a good running back, but the amount of injuries that running backs typically have in their careers – is such that I would be much more nervous guaranteeing $50 million to a running back than I would $100 million to a quarterback. Because again, if the Alex Smith injury doesn't happen, it would have been a very long time since we had a quarterback get injured so severely that he missed not just the one year, but the whole next year. It appears that Alex Smith is going to miss the entirety of this football season coming off of the injury that he took last year. Uh, that almost doesn't happen anymore, but I would still be more risky, more afraid based on the Ezekiel Elliott uh, deal at 50 million, because I think it's more likely that his career could end than it is that Jared Goff's could.
5: That makes sense it was interesting to listen to you break the news hate the deal but then learn the details of the contract some of the deals
3: we still like yeah. until i actually see the 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 contract in front of me right now i think i was right on this one uh i don't agree with uh with the uh with the 50 million but if the 50 million is structured as i believe it's structured again it's a 6 year extension So if you read that as a six-year extension, the the reports are that it's an eight-year, $103 million deal. I think that means they're including all of the money that was already owed to him on this deal. So that means that the actual dollars that are coming out, I think, are likely to come out in the next two years after the two years remaining on his deal, which makes this effectively, I believe, the way I'm seeing it, a four-year, $50 million deal, which would mean that Ezekiel Elliott would cost the Cowboys about $12.5 million a year for each of the next four years if you prorate that over the four-year deal. Now, that's more. It's substantially more in the next two years than he would have been entitled to make under his existing contract. So that's a win for Ezekiel Elliott. But also, it's not some massive, gargantuan, break-the-bank-style contract. Now, if all of that money is guaranteed over three years – then that's a little bit different because then you'd have a, uh, I think you're paying Ezekiel Elliott way too much money, but I think that would have been out there because that would be $16.6 million per year, which there's just, I mean, that's an insane amount to pay for a running back and would be pretty high outside the realm of what other running backs have made. So I think this is a four-year, $50 million deal, but until we actually see all the terms, we won't know for sure. What we do know is you can just throw away $53 the $53 million on the back end of this contract because again a lot of knuckleheads out there at your work and at your school are going to come in and be like Ezekiel Elliott's getting $103 million and you got say dude stop he's making $50 million good payday I'd be happy to sign a contract for $50 million this morning too props to Zeke on that but it's not actually that uh, that $103 million deal. So much of this is rooted in ego. Ezekiel Elliott wants to make more than Todd Gurley. He wants to make over $100 million. He wants the headlines out there about him. And it's not just him. His agent wants it too. Because this makes his agent look like a badass. The agent can puff his chest out. He can go tell everybody else that he's trying to recruit. Hey, I got hundred over $100 million for Ezekiel Elliott. If I did that for him, what do you think I can do for you? All of those things are likely to happen. But so much of NFL contracts are total and complete BS that you have to actually look behind the numbers. What matters is not the contract terms or even the years. It's how many years are guaranteed, and that's all that matters in this deal, because the final fifty-three million is total garbage. All right, what other questions? Anything else out there in the crew? Have I done a good job of explaining this? Have I made hopefully the outkick uh, uh, the uh, the outkick audience smarter as you go in to uh, to break this down again? To me, what this represents is the Cowboys are lining up to try and make a run before they have to go in and pay Dak Prescott a ton of money. And it's possible that they're getting a bunch of Ezekiel Elliott's money to count in this year's cap, and I don't know exact cap situation for the Dallas Cowboys, so they can free up money. Because remember, Jerry Jones has signed Jalen Smith, he signed Lael Collins, and now he has signed uh, Ezekiel Elliott to all pretty big contracts. Big dollars for a right tackle, big dollars for a running back, big dollars for a linebacker, and he still hasn't signed the two guys that he's going to have to give the most money to, Amari Cooper and Dak Prescott. So before all is said and done, he's got to figure out what to do dollar-wise with those two guys, and there's a lot of financial maneuvering and wrangling that will have to take place under the salary cap. But right now, my early read, and again, we'll know more information tomorrow and probably the next day, is that I think the Cowboys have gotten Zeke back without having to break the bank to do it. They now have the risk of loss if something bad happens to Ezekiel Elliott. If you're Ezekiel Elliott, hey, you got $50 million in your back pocket. It doesn't matter. If you never played another down and your career ended tomorrow, you've got $50 million guaranteed. In, in
5: regards to that, they can, they can also lower his
8: workload if they want to with Tony Pollard there if they want to cover themselves in the future.
3: Yeah, but yeah, that's true. And in theory, the fewer snaps he takes, the more likelihood is that he would not get hurt. But... To me, the big risk here for the Cowboys is if Ezekiel Elliott gets hurt, they can't recoup that money, that $50 million ever now. Zeke wins in getting the guarantee. The Cowboys win in getting him under contract without having to give him really that much more money in the grand scheme of things. Thanks for hanging with us. This has been OutKick on Fox Sports Radio. Be sure to
4: catch live editions of OutKick, the coverage with Clay Travis weekdays at 6 a.m. Eastern, 3 a.m. Pacific. Oh, oh.